Shalom and welcome to Master Plan class for the week of Parsha Zav. And before we begin, I would like to start with the bracha for the Torah. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam asher kichanu b'mitzvotav etzivanu la'asok b'divrei Torah v'harevna Adonai Eloheinu et divrei Torateka b'finu ufi amka b'et Yisrael. Venie anaknu vetze etzainu vetze etzae amkabet Israel kulano yodea shemeka velom de torateka lishma Baruch ata aronai ham lamet Torah leamo Israel. This week we are beginning preparations or completing preparations, I should say, Bezrat Hashem, for Pesach 5781. Let's do this. So. Get all the hummets out and uh, get ready for Shabbat Hagadol and go right into the first night of Pesach. So we're going to have a double Shabbat. And again, just want to bring up that in Judaism, uh, it is understood that if the Jews would keep two Shabbats back to back, then the coming of Mashiach would surely happen. So uh, just thinking about that with the electricity that's in the air for this week. And uh, literally, because it is literally thundering and lightning outside right now while this is going on. So, Baruch Hashem. Um, I just want to point out that uh, with going into Pesach, that uh, we will have Yom Tov days. Uh, we will have Yom Tov Shabbat days, and we'll have a Yom Tov Kol Hamoed uh, days. We will have those days. And so, the days that link together the first and last day of a festival that takes a week, like your seven-day festival or your eight-day festival, uh, would be Chol HaMoed. And so we're going to learn about what that means and uh, the significance of it. So before we get started with Master Plan, I want to actually jump into Torah Wellsprings 5778. Uh, and again, this is a compilation from... Uh, Rabbi Elimelech Biderman Shlita or Biderman Slika. So this is collected thoughts that he has put together and uh, lots of sources. So I just want to jump straight to Shabbat Hagadol because that's what's coming up this week. It says the tour 430 writes the Shabbat before Pesach is called Shabbat Hagadol. Because a Nes Gadol, a great miracle, happened on this day. Just really want to stop right there because, you know, I was asked uh, by a member of our community last week, or actually the week before last, if uh, they could do like, if they should have, it's a good idea, or if it's a good idea, to have um, a potato pancakes made out of matzo. Like, so matzo, matzo pancakes basically and uh i thought that was interesting because it was like having a little bit of hanukkah with your pesach and here it is that before we go into pesach we always celebrate the Neskadol. so just bringing in hanukkah with pesach it's just a beautiful uh thought but goes on to say here in torah wellsprings the corbin pesach that was sacrificed on this day, the Korban Pesach was sacrificed in Mitzrayim. 
It had to be purchased on the 10th day of Nisan, which was a Shabbat. So wait, so you're purchasing on the Shabbat. Wow. Now we know there wasn't any like physical money transactions and things like that, because we know that's a violation of Shabbat, right? But to select and designate your offering, not so much. It's important to note that even in the temple, the Beit HaMikdash, that uh, Korbanot were offered up on Shabbat and extra ones at that, uh, known as the Musaf. So this is why we have an extra prayer time on Shabbat that follows the Shakari service. And the Musaf is connected to Yosef Hazadik. That's Yosef ben Yaakov, the son of Yaakov. So when we think about Yeshua ben Yosef, we have another element of a Musaf here because with Mashiach, there is an addition. There is the Mashiach who descends from Yosef and the Mashiach who descends from David. Both are called Mashiach and there's that. So going on, it says here, everyone took a Corbin Pesach and bound it to their bedpost. Just want to point out, there is a tractate in Barakot about the bedtime Shema, and it's basically the uh, section of the crucifixion. Let's see if I can pull it up here. Bedtime Shema. Crucifixion. Because it is said that if one is immersed in Torah study, that uh, the only thing that you need to say is into your hand, I command my spirit. Um, bedtime Shema. Let's see what we get here. There it is. Bedtime Shema into your hands, I command my spirit. This is from Tractate. Barakot 5a. If one is a Torah scholar, he need not recite Shema on his bed since he is always engaged in the study of Torah and will likely fall asleep engrossed in matters of Torah. Just want to say that when one is making themselves a sacrifice, so self-sacrifice, um, that is one of the matters of Torah. So we know when Yeshua HaMashiach was offered up on the stake, on the crucifixion stake, that this was a matter of self-sacrifice, which was the Akeda. Exactly what we see in Genesis 22, except this time the ram was uh, in the likeness of man, and that is the Mashiach. And we know the ram is supernatural. It preceded uh, the Shabbat the first week of creation and it's just kind of like so this ram has to be like super old but right we uh, connect that to the lamb that was slain before the foundations and we know that the name of the mashiach was one of the seven things that preceded creation so continuing on it says here abia said even a torah scholar must recite at least one verse of prayer such as, into your hand, I trust my spirit. For you, or Slika, you have redeemed me, Adonai, God of truth. 
Tehillim, Psalms 31, verse 6. So, Luke 23:46 says, Crying out with a loud voice, Yeshua said, Abba, into your hands I commit my spirit. With these words, he gave up his spirit. So, just a quick note that the lamb that we designated for our Corbin Pesach was tied to our doorpost for four days. And in the month of Tishrei, we have Yom Kippur to the first day of Sukkot. There are four days in between. So, it is taught from commentary that the four days between Yom Kippur and Sukkot all correspond to the four-letter name of Hashem. That's probably on a previous podcast here on the Shomerman podcast. So, just want to point that out. Um, Bezrat Hashem, as I come across that this week, I would love to post that on Instagram and uh, just kind of cross-reference that with Shabbat Hagadol. So, we'll see how that goes. Bli Nether. So, without a vow, that's that's my, my duty. Okay. Anyway, going on. So, we got this lamb tied to the door, the bedpost, and it's going to be there for four days. And on the fourth day, it's going to be offered up. So, that's the 14th of Nisan. So, we, it says, the Egyptians asked them, what is this all about? They answered, by Hashem's command, we will slaughter the them for a Corbin Pesach the teeth of the Egyptians hurt <laughs> and it says because the Jewish people would be slaughtering their God but they didn't have permission to say anything for this miracle the Shabbat is called Shabbat Hagadol so the enemy was frozen and it's just kind of like the the overwhelming victory that's already proclaimed just from us speaking the command that Hashem gave us. So one of the things that we have to be mindful of in our life is to speak forth what Hashem has commanded for us. So, I mean, that's the beginning, right? Because we, we confess and, and believe what's in our heart and our mind and those overflow out into our words. That's the first step, right? So, interesting note here that the speaking of the children of Israel only happened when they were asked. They didn't just go around going, look, we got your God. Nah, 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 nah. Like that didn't happen, right? So, going on, it says they answered this, right? So, this is an answer. So, always be ready with an answer for the amuna that you have. And remember the amuna is the deed of what you believe. So it goes on to say quoting a medrash, Tosafos Shabbat 87 states a different miracle that occurred on that Shabbat when they brought the korban on Shabbat. The firstborns of the nations of the world gathered in front of the Jewish people and asked, "Why are you doing this?" They replied, this is the Corbin Pesach for Hashem. 
because he will kill all the firstborns. The firstborns went to their parents and to Pharaoh, to Pharaoh, pleading that they release the Jewish people, but they refused. The firstborns declared war and killed many of the Egyptians. This is the meaning of the Pasuk, to smite the Egyptians with the firstborns. Talim 136.10 On this Shabbat, we commemorate this miracle. As the Shulchan Aruch Harav concludes, they established that this miracle should be remembered all the generations on Shabbat. And they call the Shabbat Shabbat Hagadol. Others explain that this Shabbat is called Shabbat Hagadol in anticipation of. Let me read the Hebrew with the help of Hashem here. Yom Hashem Gadol Vehanorah. Hashem's great and awesome day when Mashiach will come. As it states, Behold, I will send you Eliyahu Hanabi before Hashem's great and awesome day arrives. Malachi 3.24 Just a quick Selah because one of the things to think about as we head into Shabbat this week, I know we have a lot on our plate, We have, pun intended, because we have a Seder plate to get ready. But this Shabbat is a Shabbat of miracles. And I pray that we all tap into that and really grab a hold of that. You know, back during Hanukkah, we were given the opportunity to pull these things down, pull down redemption into reality. So this Shabbat is no different. You know, this is really a time that we're supposed to be redeemed and set free from exile. And we're currently in exile. So may it be that Hashem's awesome and great day when Mashiach will come begin on this Shabbat. And I I really hope and pray we see Eliyahu Hanavi. And if you uh, refer back to yesterday's uh, Mashiach Monday for this week's Torah portion of Zav, I brought up the fact of the guys that uh, Eliyahu appears and um, the guys that Yeshua HaMashiach appears because we know Mashiach can appear in different forms and so can Eliyahu. So may someone come to our door <laughs> and may that someone be Eliyahu. <laughs> Amen for Pesach. And it says the Hidushe Harem ZTL, which by the way, ZTL is may their memory be for a blessing, but let me give you the actual Ivrit. It says Zeker Zadik Livraka. Okay, so the memory of the righteous be for a blessing. So this is the Chidushe Harim, and it says taught that just as the 10th of Tishrei atones for all sins, it's Yom Kippur. Similarly, Shabbat Hagadol, which commemorates the miracles of the 10th of Nisan, also atones for one's sins. So we have a Yom Kippur 
in the first month. So the former in the latter reigns, the teacher for righteousness, you know, this passage that we talk about. Let's talk about the former in the latter reigns. Let's go ahead and pull that verse up here. Former and latter reigns. Uh, we're going to get those together. This is Joel 2.23. Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. For he hath given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. So we have Yom Kippur in the first month. We have Hanukkah in the first month. I mean, wow. There's also a beautiful connection in the Midrash Rabbah uh, about 50 days after Sukkot being Hanukkah. And we know that Sukkot and Pesach are directly across from each other on the calendar because they happen in the middle of the first month. And there's also debates that the first month is Nisan, the first month is Tishrei. So now you have Yom Kippur or Sukkot or, or Sligai. Yeah, Pesach or Sukkot. Like, which one's first? And the answer is yes. So the story about this is Parashah Vayera when Abraham is sitting at the entrance of his tent and it is during Pesach. So he's sitting in a sukkah, and it's Pesach. And by the way, that's the first place we went to when we were leaving Mitzrayim, leaving Egypt. So we have here our former and latter rain going on. So now we have the Kedusha of Hanukkah, the, the great miracles that happen. And now we have the, this beautiful atonement that's going on as well. That's this Shabbat. And then it goes on to say, it is called Shabbat Hagadol, which is the great Shabbat, just as Yom Kippur is called Yom Rabbah, the great day. So Shabbat, by the way, is likened to a day that is all joyous, all pleasurable. Yom Kippur is literally called the day. In, in Judaism, as, as far as we learn from the sources, there are certain things that have a definite attachment to them. So when we say HaShabbat, like the Shabbat, that's Pesach. And then when we say Yoma, like the day, or Hayom, that is in reference to Yom Kippur. When we say the feast, like the actual festival, Hachag, the festival. We're speaking of Sukkot. When we say the prayer, we're speaking of Shemoni Esrei Amidah standing prayer. So it's just beautiful to note Shabbat Hagadol is connected to the great day, the great Shabbat, which is Yom Kippur. Crazy part about Shabbat Hagadol is we won't be fasting, we're going to be eating. <laughs> So, wow, just amazing on that. And it goes on to say, to express the specialness of this Shabbat, the Ohev Yisrael, may his memory be for a blessing. May the Zodic, may the memory of this Zodic be for a blessing as well. Amen. 
Likute Nach Shabbat. Hagadol, that's the source, it says, writes, The origin of the fountain of all Shabbatim, all the Shabbats of the year, comes from the two Shabbatim of the year, from Shabbat Hagadol and Shabbat Shuva. So you know the Shabbat between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur is called Shabbat Shuva. So for a lot of us uh, who've been a part of Magin Yeshenu and from our previous community, we know how significant Shabbat Hagadol was in 5781 at the very beginning of this year. Good night. This year definitely started off with some uh, fireworks for sure and some intense, some intenseness. Okay, so the fountain of all your Shabbats are going to come from these two Shabbats. So you have a Shabbat in the first month and you have a Shabbat in the seventh month, which is sometimes called the first month. So what are we saying? The former and the latter rain together is, is happening. It's like this ping pong effect. So we have another rung that's available for us to ascend on this Shabbat to bring forth a fountain of blessing over the rest of our Shabbats. But I want to point this out because this is directly from the source of Torah Wellsprings. It says, may we merit keeping this Shabbat with joy and then its influence will be felt throughout all Shabbatim of the year. And may we merit Yom Hashem Hagadol Norah, Hashem's great and awesome day of the redemption speedily in our days. Amen. So I just want to throw down a gauntlet, a challenge to everybody that uh, this Shabbat, why don't we ask Hashem to send Mashiach now? So that is totally my MO. I just want Mashiach to be here now. Uh, not because we need relief from all of our troubles, but that and a whole lot of other stuff. You know, we, we really need our temple. We really need the end gathering. We really need uh, restoration and tikkun in the universe. And uh, times are not getting any brighter at this moment. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Mashiach could have been here sooner and he's not here yet. So what, what say you? So just a little challenge to everybody. Let's ask for the Gula to Shabbat. So with that being said, I just want to launch into uh master plan. I actually want to tab uh, Torah Wellsprings because it talks about preparation for Pesach and in master plan. I want to go into uh, celebrating the Shabbat and celebrating the Yom Tov and how uh, different they are. Uh, just a quick note that um, the Shabbat is likened to the Sephirah of Chokmah, which is wisdom. And that's considered to be the highest of the Sephirot, uh, obviously under Keter. But uh, when we really talk about the Sephirot, the Ten Sephirot, we're typically we're talking about Chokmah all the way down to Malkut and our tree of life. 
So with that being said, the Yom Tov is considered to be Bina. Now, the beautiful thing about this is that Bina overflows from Chokmah. So this is Lakute Torah Zav breaking this down. So the Hasidic literature that's so, so beautiful, Kabbalistic, uh, mystical, as well as just beautiful Devar Torah is letting us know that um, when we get into the Yom Tov, we focus more on joy. And so that's Bina, that's bringing everything down into this concrete reality and uh, like literally fleshing it out, so to speak. So just want to give a, a quick note on that. We're looking at two Sephiroth. We're looking at Chokmah and Bina. And that is Chokmah, Shabbat, Wisdom, and Bina, Understanding. That's the Yom Tov. So you have Chokmah. It really just kind of throws everything out all at once. Like it's just like, here's everything. And it's just like, what? You got to unpack it. Bina is the unpacking process. So this is why it's so beautiful that we're coming out of a Shabbat and we're going into a Yom Tov because we're going to be able to just unpack all this overflow that's coming out. You know, and this is another reason why I think it's a beautiful, auspicious time for all of Israel to keep two Shabbats back to back. Man, you know. Anyway, one of the other things to mention is that in Bereshit chapter one, where it talks about there was uh, evening and there was morning the first day, the Hebrew literally says Yom Echad. So like the first day is not called the first day. It's called the day of oneness. So literally the first day had everything included in it. So man, the the beast of the the field, the birds in the skies, the swimming things in the waters, the vegetation, all of that, the luminaries and all of that. That was Yom Echad. That was day one. So this is why some of the more mystical, I think it's Kabbalistic, just don't, I don't want to throw that word around like it's just like, oh, hey, just apply this everywhere. But uh, from the interpretation of the creation account, they literally call it the separation account. Because, you know, you have the waters divide from the waters, you have the land separate from the waters, then you have the the vegetation that separates from the land and then you have you know so on and so forth all the way down and then ultimately you have the man and the woman separated and then brought back together again and like bringing everything back to a chad so just a beautiful picture here that um chokma into bina is like this unpacking process and it's like we actually see somewhat of a pattern like that not particularly and specifically, you know, uh, to be taken super literal, but we see kind of a concept here of unpacking, so to speak, going on. And that's uh, the the Sephira of Chokmah is likened to the letter Yod. The Sephira of Bina is likened to the letter He. So Yod, Chokmah, which is wisdom, which is the Shabbat, 
is also called in Kabbalistic literature Abba, the Father. Then you have Bina, which is the Hey, which is understanding, and that's the Yom Tov. That's likened to Ima, the Mother. These are the first two letters of the four-letter name of Hashem. So within Hashem, you see the Shabbat and you see the Yom Tov. Then, you know, we have the Vav, and I was just thinking about this. It just hit me as I'm talking about it, that the Vav is six in its numerical value. It just so happens that there are six days in creation, or six days, uh, six working days in the week. And then we have the seventh day, which is the Shabbat. So the Shabbat, the Yom Tov, and the six days, the final hay. We know that's the five books of Torah. We know that's the five levels of the human soul. Uh, we know that is the creation of this world through the letter Hey and things like that. But the final Hey of Hashem's name corresponds to Malkut, which is the kingdom. The, the, the final uh, manifestation of everything as it comes down through the, the Sephiroth. So just a, a neat little concept, just looking at the name of Hashem and, and just kind of putting together some dots and pieces. We can see how Hashem really is like, I mean, there's nothing but him. So ain't no Milvado is what we say for that. So master plan, finally, page 189, chapter 44, celebration of Shabbat and Yom Tov. It says, you shall proclaim these festivals as a summons to holiness. How? By eating and drinking and wearing fresh clothes. This is from Sifra on Leviticus 23:35. What I love about Master Plan is it always breaks down where are these verses found in the written in the oral Torah that give us our halakha. Because we know Halakha is the application or the walking out of the commandments. When you read the written Torah only, you see, proclaim this is a holy day, have a holy convocation. But it's like, okay, so what do you do at that time? How do you do that? You know, when particularly do you do that? You know, as, as far as like, what time of the day do you gather? Right? Because you can say okay well just gather the whole 24 hours but it's like when are you going to sleep when are you going to eat because you're supposed to be gathered well the oral torah gives us all those prescriptions so going on it says you shall rejoice in your festivals you your son your daughter your manservant your maidservant the levite the stranger the orphan the widow within your gates deuteronomy 16 14 this is why it's so beautiful when we experience the Geula, the redemption, because living in the land and being able to do everything free and unhindered, we're not in exile, we're not stuck somewhere in isolation, uh, separated from the community and things like that. We actually have an, a cohesive opportunity to, as a Mishpaka, because Israel is one big family, by the way newsflash we're all family uh, but in that context we as a family look out for the stranger we look out for the orphans the widows 
And we also look out for our servants, you know, people who, for whatever reason, if you go back to Parsha Mishpatim, there's different ways that you acquire servants and not everybody did. So, um, and then the Levites, the people who don't have a job outside of taking care of things in the temple, traveling throughout all of Israel and wherever else they're sent to teach people Torah and to do all of the services that are needed for like funerals and weddings and bar mitzvahs and um, all sorts of things, you know, helping the Kohen offer up all the Corbinot, you know, and things like that. Uh, just looking out for each other. And this is something we get to do together. And so it's just amazing to think about the unity and uh, caring for other people. It goes on to say, if you make the four of my family rejoice. So Hashem is letting us know there is four people in his family. Now, one of the things that I did not mention about the four letter name of Hashem is you have the Yod, which is the Abba, the Hey, which is the Ima. Well, the Vav is known as the Ben, the son, and the Hey is known as the daughter, the Bat. So literally with the four letters of Hashem's name, you see a cohesive family unit. But Hashem is telling us here, and by the way, this is from Midrash Tankuma, Re'e number 18, Hashem has four in his family. This is the Levite, the stranger, the orphan, and the widow. Those individuals and those categories are considered to be Hashem's family. Would you happen to know that the word for stranger is ger, which is sometimes used for the convert? This is why if you're a convert to Judaism... It's a very, very, very special thing. It's a it's a privilege. It's also just a big responsibility because I don't know if you know this, but when you belong to a family, there are standards and you have to adhere to those things. Right. So as a convert, you just can't come in, you know, all nonchalant and willy nilly about everything. But you're considered to be one of the four. You know, which is absolutely amazing to think about <clears throat> and to think about all of these individuals. If it wasn't for Hashem, they would not have anything, you know, because Hashem tells the the tribe of Levi that I am your portion. I am your inheritance. You don't own any you don't you don't have like ownership in the land like the other tribes do. The other tribes have portions of the land, but the Levites are sprinkled all through them. And it's just kind of like, wow, Hashem is, is their portion. Well, guess what? When an orphan, when a child loses their parents or when uh, spouses lose their their partner, you know, it's just kind of like, what, what do they have? And Hashem is like, you have me. So that's pretty deep. And Hashem is saying that we need to focus on those individuals first. So if you make them rejoice, Hashem goes on to say, I will make the four of your family rejoice, says Hashem. And again, that's Medrash Tankuma, Re'e number 18. Again, this is all from Master Plan by Aryeh Carmel and page 189, chapter 44. 
haven't even gotten into any of the insights yet. It says, if you turn away your foot because of the Shabbat from pursuing your business on my holy day and call the Shabbat a delight and the holy and the holy day of God honored and honor it by not going in your usual ways, not pursuing your business nor speaking of it, then you shall delight in God and I will make you ride on the high places of the earth for the mouth of God has spoken it. That's from Isaiah 58. 13 through 14. So section one brings it down. It says the celebration of the Shabbat and Yom Tov and their observance are two very different concepts which are confused. So in chapter 41, the Shabbat in particular is observed by ceasing all creative activity in the physical world. This observance is symbolic. It brings home to us that God is the creator and it is he who sets the goals of our existence in this world. This symbol and this idea are the very essence of Shabbat. But this unique mode of observance, while absolutely essential to Torah, to the Torah concept of Shabbat, is still not the whole story. The Torah wants us to enjoy the experience of devoting a full day to God's holy purposes and has therefore ordained that we celebrate and honor the day in ways which are typical of the Torah outlook on life. Okay. So you get this whole section of time and it's like, Hashem, this is your day. You're, you're the creator of the universe and you just spend time in that. I don't know if you think about it in the grand scheme of things, but with the fast pace of our daily living to know how quickly we can get caught up and forget about Hashem because we're so focused on our task and our obligations. When the Shabbat arrives, it's just kind of like a, a wake up call. It's a, a stop. It's a say la. It's a refocus. It's a like, oh, I'm not the center of my own universe. Hashem is. You know, and you just kind of get this this recalibration of your soul, of your heart, your mind, you know, your whole entire being. And it's just so beautiful to think about that that rhythm and that flow. Hashem is like, okay, you get six days. Go make it happen. But I want you to take this seventh day here and just reconnect. You know, and, and this is something that for those who are not aware, you know, it's just like this, this seems like silliness because it's just kind of like, it doesn't make any sense. I got things to do. I got money to make, you know, I got bills to pay. And Hashem was like, but I'm the creator of the universe, you know, and that's something that, you know, I've really been working on is understanding how small we really are. You know, when you think about the size of the universe and really how big Hashem is, because the universe is inside of Hashem, right? How many satellites and telescopes and things have we sent out into the cosmos? And it's just like we haven't reached the end. And yet this is inside Hashem. You know, that that's just kind of like, a OK, if Hashem has all of this inside of him, he runs all of this you know, among all the other things, he runs the earth. 
he runs each human, you know, like the interaction and things that happen in our daily life, you know, and all the different connections that entails. So I can't take one day to really contemplate that, you know, and that's, this is not meant to be an admonishment is actually meant just to be a, just, can we, can we just say, hello, is anybody stopping and listening, you know, to the reality and the gravity of that? Because that's literally what the Shabbat is meant for. Section two teaches us how to honor the Shabbat. Uh, it's beautiful to really go through that. Um, and the Yom Tov. So, so let's do it. Cause I was really wanting to get to the point of understanding the significance of the Yom Tov. So there's a lot here in this chapter. And, uh, as we go into the future, Bezrat Hashem, we can cover some of these things that we didn't get to because there's just so much, but it goes on to say here in section two, again, this is master plan page 190. It says, we honor the coming of Shabbat and festivals by showing that we regard them as a sanctuary of body, mind, and spirit. They are a summons to holiness, says the Torah. How do we express their holiness? Ask the rabbis. See, again, so the beautiful thing about the oral Torah, it goes, okay, Torah, I see you say this is a summons to holiness. So comes along the oral Torah says, so what does that look like? How do we do it? So it says, and the answer is by good food and wine, fresh clothing, a clean house, a spotless white tablecloth and plenty of light. Just as a side note, there's many different options that you can do for your tablecloth. It doesn't have to literally be white, but this, the, the standard, you know, thinking of the formal dinner, you know, when you go out to a nice restaurant, it's like, oh, the fancy white tablecloths, the water in the tea glass and the server comes by dressed in the linen and, you know, serving it up kind of thing. So as it is here for the Shabbat, we can do the same. We do the same thing, just. As a side note on that, the other thing to mention is that this is a semblance of what it was like in the garden because everything was in order. It was beautiful. There was no darkness. There was actually 36 hours of light on the first Shabbat. The first three days of the light of Torah which side note, Parsha Zav is the 25th Torah portion. The 25th word in the Torah is light. The 25th of the winter month on the Hebrew calendar is the month of Kislev. So the 25th of that month is the first day of Hanukkah. Celebration of the light. So in the garden... We have this 36 hours of light. We're dressed in these beautiful garments. Everything's in order. We're eating and drinking. Happy, merry, all these beautiful things. So when the Shabbat happens every week, 
it's like a take us back to a, a shadow or a glimpse of that. It goes on to say here, we have already seen that the to be holy in the eyes of the Torah does not mean to be sad and gloomy, but to be merry, lively, and happy. So holiness, like if you really want to be holy, it's to be merry, lively, and happy. Holiness means dedication. And if a festive meal contributes to our sense of dedication to the goals of the wonderful or to the goals of our wonderful Torah, then that meal itself is an aspect of holiness. So there's a beautiful verse in one of the letters that talks about eating to the glory of God. Let's see if I can find it here. Yep, the letter to Corinth, chapter 10, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 31 is a verse about holiness. So, moreover, the festival meal on Shabbats and festivals is holy because it helps cement the family relationship. Mm. It helps anchor the family together. Number one, the wife is honored as the queen of the household. Number two, the children get the attention they deserve and crave. Something I never really thought about is deserving and craving attention being the children. You know, no matter how old they are. You know, just to think about how. You know, we, we fend for ourselves, and it's just like when the Shabbat shows up, it's like somebody is going to stop you in your tracks and just like, I want to pray over you. I want to think about you and I want to esteem you and I want to hold you, touch you, put a blessing upon you, you know, and it's just kind of like, wow, you know, and this is the, the kosher love of a parent to their child. And, you know, for me, being a new dad, you know, I never really think about does my child crave, you know, my attention. You know, it, it doesn't really strike me that 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 probably is a reality, you know, especially right now, because obviously he needs a lot and we take care of him and things like that. But to think as he gets older, you know, and things like that, is the attention craving really there? And it's just like, yep. It is, whether it's apparent or not, you know, pun intended. And, and, you know, we can even just think about ourselves, you know, because when we are living our daily lives, you know, do we not crave someone to care about us and just to to know that we're thought about and it's okay, you know, yeah, we have blemishes. 
We have mistakes. We have faults. But we're cared about. We have a purpose. You know, and we are desired. You know, that's just. That's just a a, a deep breath of like, whoa, <laughs> you know, and this is what the Shabbat is meant to be. The Shabbat is meant to be. Let me reveal to you. You know, Hashem speaking to us saying, let me reveal to you. That you're cared for, that you're desired. And we're going to put a lot of blessing and we're going to put a lot of joy and excitement on top of that. And we're just going to wrap it up in holiness. It's just kind of like that's blue screen. I'm just like, I don't even know what's going on. <laughs> so anyway, it goes on to say their faces glowing with the warmth of the Shabbat and the festival atmosphere or yeah, the festival atmosphere to which they too contribute by words of Torah and songs of praise. One of the most beautiful things you can do during the Shabbat and Yom Tov is recite words of Torah and recite a lot of songs, which is the Tehillim, by the way, and all the Nigunim, which, by the way, uh, Rabbi Trugman Shlita was bringing down at the Tuba Shabbat Seder that uh, the Nigunim, the Nigunes, the la 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 right the nagoons that it comes from gin noon which is about the garden like gani din like bringing down the noon bringing down that 50 that eden that pleasure so there's all that to really take into account. And it says meals such as these sow the seeds of a spiritually productive future. Now I'm going to speed up a little bit. Just going to hit some of the underlines here. So we have eating and drinking are aspects, especially to the festivals, um, especially when we invite other people to enjoy our meal with us. Our meal becomes a certain mitzvah. Like it certainly becomes a mitzvah at that point. Like it's holiness then, but like now it's a mitzvah because you're now taking on to yourself, hosting someone, hospitality, generosity to guests, you know, lots more things, lots more dynamics are now going to come into play because you've invited someone over and the, all the esteem to the guests and things like that. And, and again, as the letter to Hebrews tells us that by entertaining guests and being hospitable you may entertain angels which in the mashiach monday's class for parshazav yesterday i talked about when the mashiach ben david showed up as a poor beggar to someone's fourth meal and they didn't even know it and they kicked him out so it's one thing to think about you could possibly entertain angels is a whole nother thing to think about entertaining the Mashiach like whoa <laughs> so anyway if you want to really upgrade your meal that's what you do uh, the other thing if the people we invite are in need not necessarily physical I love this but in need of cheering up encouragement and companionship then we have turned our enjoyment from taking 
into giving. Wow. It's not necessarily because someone's poor and they can't provide for themselves. Uh, yeah, we need to take care of those. We just read about that a minute ago. But how about the people who sit at their Shabbat table alone? How about the people who are in a bad mood and they just had a horrible day and maybe they didn't even get to prep and light candles and all this craziness? Well, guess what? If you invite that person over to your Shabbat, you're now putting yourself in a place of Zadakah, which is one of the things that cause us to merit the redemption, by the way. So going on, it says. We have given happiness to someone else, and that is holiness in the eyes of God. So the Halakha brings down before the entry of every Shabbat and festival, including Yom Kippur, it is a rabbinical command to light candles in the home in addition to the normal lighting. These symbolize joy and peace ushered in by the holy day. So my wife, she particularly has this custom to say, you know, right for remembrance, left for observance. Well, the thing is, those two candles also represent Shalom and Simcha, which, by the way, Sha and Sa, you have the Sheen and the Seen. You literally have the two candles because Sheen is likened to fire. It's also likened to teeth. You know, you have upper teeth and lower teeth. So you're putting the two teeth together. So it's like you're entering into the mouth of holiness. You're entering between the two Sheens, you know, which, by the way, we have two Sheens on the top of the Tefillin Shel Rosh, the headpiece Tefillin. So you have basically the Simcha and the Shalom and the Shalom, the joy and the peace, the two Shabbat candles, you know, so it's it's talked about like, so women don't wrap Tefillin. So when do they wrap Tefillin? Well, other than braiding the challah, lighting the Shabbat candles is a way to wrap tefillin. And by the way, the three mitzvot for the women is candle lighting, challah, and nida, family purity. When you're wrapped up in family purity, pun intended, that's also an element of wrapping tefillin. Because the whole thing with wrapping tefillin is attachment to Hashem. And purifying yourself of the whims of the Yetzirah. And going throughout the Nidah process. This is bringing us back to the sin of the tree of knowledge of good and evil back in the garden. And it's like removing those impurities. Because we brought death into the world. And it wasn't the woman's fault. It was actually our fault. And so through Nidah, the husband and the wife worked together to tikkun our sin for mankind. And it's just like the fact that the woman's doing nidah, the man's wrapping tefillin, the man's kipping Shabbat because the woman lit the candles, we're eating on the Shabbat, the challah, you know, and the man has the brit malah, which is, by the way, I would, I would cross-reference the brit malah with the nidah because those elements there, and then the candle lighting and the hala with the uh, keeping of the Shabbat and the tefillin. So hala, tefillin, candle lighting Shabbat. It's, it's kind of hard to enter Shabbat if you're not lighting candles. I mean, you can, you can do it, but 
you know, there's there's a reason why the rabbis have given us the rabbinic decree. Light candles to go into Shabbat. And it goes on to say the next point of Halakha. The, this privilege and duty is primarily that of the housewife. So it's primarily the duty of the woman to light the Shabbat and Yom Tov candles. Guess whose duty it is to light the Havdalah candle? That's right, you guessed it, the man. So the woman brings it in and the man takes it out. You know, it's just like, okay. Levels of holiness here. All right, so I want to flip over a little bit and go to Chol HaMoed. I want to go to that. Page 193. So this is chapter 44, section 5. And this is what it says. Chol HaMoed, the intermediate days of the festivals. I just wrote out in the margin, holy but ordinary. It says the Torah designates seven days for Pesach and eight days for Sukkot, i.e. Sukkot plus Shemini Atzeret. But only the first and last days carry a prohibition of labor. These intermediate days are holy in one aspect since they are part of the festival and in another respect they are ordinary days since the prohibition of labor does not apply. So in other words, first and last day of Pesach and Sukkot, no work, but you can go to work if you want to in the intermediate days. But let's read the next sentence. Hence their name, Chol HaMoed, which is the ordinary days of the festival. Our sages have ruled that wherever possible, they should be distinguished from other days by refraining from one's usual working activity. One must not engage in work involving great physical effort except to prevent serious financial loss. This is why it's admirable to take off for the the Chol HaMoed days from work so that you can spend more time praying because there are special prayers that you only get to say for this one particular festival. It's only certain observances that you do for this particular festival, especially with Pesach. I mean, how many matzah meals can you make? You know, hamitz free food, you know, going on. And uh, just thinking about the, the brachot during the week of Pesach that we get to recite. You know, you can have multiple seders if you want to have another seder on the second night, the third night, fourth night, fifth night. You know, keep inviting people over and, and sharing the Haggadah. Keep going through the Haggadah. You know, having time to do these things. But the sages also tell us, balance that out. If it's going to be a burden for you financially, go to work. However, when you go to work, this is not the time to try to do overtime and do an 80-hour work week. You know, keep it, keep it your normal you know, if you normally work 80 hours a week, then all right, Superman, Superwoman, uh, you have my respect for sure. A hundred percent believe it. But again, you know, you don't want to really push it and exhaust yourself to the point that you just let Pesach pass over. 
right? You don't want it to pass you by or pass you over, okay? Really want to try to take some time and, and be into this. So we we have on the last day of Pesach, uh, right before Havdalah, we go into what's called the Meal of Mashiach. And this was a custom uh, introduced by the Baal Shem Tov. And, um, you know, one of the things I think about, never mind, I was going to say something else. Um, the beautiful thing about the, the meal of Mashiach is that this is the biggest time to anticipate redemption. Here's what my rabbi, Rabbi Trugman said. <laughs> so just so everyone knows, um, I have officially confirmed with Rabbi Trugman and we get to talk quite a bit. So Rabbi Trugman Shlita with Or Chadash, uh, I I let him know, like, hey, you you are my rabbi. <laughs> so, you know, I follow your teachings and, you know, I hope that's okay. You know, as far as me believing in Yeshua and all that kind of stuff, the reason I chose him is because he embodies chesed, you know, just a, a beautiful soul and, you know, I, I haven't had this conversation with him, you know, but as far as saying, hey, I just want to let you know, I tune into your teachings, I watch your videos, I read your articles, I have all just about all of your books, good night, you know, uh, giving Zadaka and things like that, and uh, really just being an encourager and keeping him on my mind and heart, you know, as a esteemed teacher in my life, you know, I've let him know this, right, so... I was asking him about the Mashiach meal. It's called the Mashiach's Seuda. You know, like we say, uh, Shalosh Sudot, the third meal for uh, Shabbat. So the Mashiach Seuda, the Mashiach meal that we have on the last day of Pesach. I was asking him about, you know, is there any like format, like a setter of some sort that we could uh, read? Is there a handout or a guide or some sort? Here's his response. And again, I'm thinking Baal Shem Tov, you know, because he, he has a whole article on the Mashiach meal, which, by the way, I've I started compiling. And at least for our household, I plan to uh, go through this handout. And uh, so I got all this in the back of my mind as I read what he wrote to me. So here's what he said. You can try looking online, especially with Chabad. I'm not aware of a formal official seder for Mashiach Seuda. Most people eat matzo and wine and some people drink four cups. The main thing is to talk about Mashiach and redemption. Wow. The main thing, talk about Mashiach and redemption. So, side note, just to say, getting emails and pen palling with Rabbi Trugman is quite just, uh, it's it's mind-boggling to me. I'm just kind of like, he, he really is talking to me. Like, this is, this is crazy. <laughs> but anyway... Uh, just so everyone knows, because it's important in Judaism that if you're going to be a serious student of Torah, you really want to pursue lifelong learning. You need to have a teacher. 
you also need to have a fellow peer who can uh, help bolster what your teacher is giving so that you have someone to bounce ideas off of. You have basically it's called a Havruta, which Baruch Hashem, other than having the Avengers, I also have a Havruta uh, who is outside of the scope of that, um, who I get to meet with once a week. And it turns out he's a bona fide Levite. So that's ridiculous. And, you know, I thought I was Shomer Man and had more rockets than I had pockets. And uh, he he has a whole planet full of stuff. So I was just kind of like, okay, wasn't expecting that. But Brugashim, talk about being sourced out. <laughs> it's it's there. So just want to encourage everyone. Make sure you have someone you can bounce ideas off of. Someone who can help you with, you know, flowing everything you don't want to be spread out over numerous teachers you know i literally have three particular rabbis that i tune into their teachings every week you know i have rabbi trugman rabbi roskeen and rabbi mollet so those three individuals uh at least with uh rabbi mollet and rabbi trugman i personally interact with them in conversation and Rabbi Roskeen, I've yet to interact with, don't really think I need to. I would love to, obviously. But, you know, as far as personal touch on things, it's it's really another level of learning when there's a personal connection there. You know, it's just not, not just some person on a screen that I'm just tuning into and I don't know them and they don't know me, you know, kind of thing. So... For what that's worth, just wanted to throw that out there. So, back to Master Plan on page 193. The last sentence of section 5 says, Activities which serve the purpose of the Moed and assist its proper celebration are permitted. So, anything that esteems and elevates the Pesach. That's what we want to do. This is why I was saying, if you want to have another Seder, you know, it's beautiful to think about doing that. It's beautiful to think about having Haggadah, you know, um, Hebras, you know, uh, gatherings to sit down with the Haggadah, open it up. Because, you know, it's so crazy. We spend all this time getting ready for Pesach and then it's like, boom, it's here. And you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm so tired. I was cleaning everything and I was immersing all these dishes and torch and stuff. And then it's like, oh, it's midnight. I'm so tired, sleepy. Got to wake up, go to shul in the morning. Then you're focused on making sure, man, I better not see a drop of hummus in my life or I'm just going to lose it, you know. And then you're like, oh, my gosh, I found hummus. Oh, no, I'm the worst sinner ever. Right. And it's just like, but wait, did you say the nullification, Braca? Because if you do the best you can in searching out your hummus and finding it all and getting rid of it, before Shabbat Hagadol, this year anyway, uh, you're covered. So therefore, if you find a random bag of chips somehow tucked away somewhere in your living quarters or in your car, shalom, or at your desk, just don't eat it. It's not yours. Throw it away. Give it away. Whatever. It's not yours because you declared it ownerless because you couldn't see it, number one. And you did the best you could to search out all the hummets. 
And again, I was bringing this down a couple of weeks ago in the master plan class that, you know, it kind of sounds like a joke, but it's serious. Like the hummus that we need to get rid of is literally the edible hummus, not the little crumbs in the corner, not the dust on the top of your drapes, you know, and things like that. It's literally like if it's a package of cookies that are not kosher for Passover, you know, any kind of uh, cereals, drinks, by the way check your drinks some drinks are not kosher for passover you know some some of the sodas are like heavy hitters on that like you're just like i can't believe this soda has hummets in it you know ice cream think about these things right so we get through pesach and it's like boom all right we're in the middle of the omer count headed to shavuot now it's time to start doing cheese blintzes and it's just like oh gosh what happened to pesach what happened to no hummets? Now we're eating hummets again. I'm not okay with this. And you're like eating matzah, like trying to hold on for your dear life. Like, I just want to keep eating matzah. I don't want holla anymore. It's sinful. You know, like you kind of have that kind of like jarring in your life. You had a whole week of no holla. And this year we're going to have two Shabbats, zero holla. It's just like, whoa. <laughs> but yeah, anyway not not freaking out at all no cool totally cool because you know holla's not my favorite food or anything but you know yeah just mm. digress um esteem the holiday have some gatherings open up your haggadah that's the the whole thing the whole tangent i went on was just to say sometimes it just feels like i opened the haggadah on the first night or if you do a second night seder the first and second night and i never ever see or hear about the haggadah again until after purim headed towards pesach and it's just like study your haggadah before pesach so you're not lost so like so yeah so just even if you just kind of look through a certain section you know um one of the things that's really intriguing me this year is the carpus you know uh dipping the 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 vegetables in the salt water and how that corresponds, shouts out to Chetz Shlita, a.k.a. Yosef Rickman, who uh, was Reichman, Slika, who was bringing this down, that uh, this is about death and resurrection. And I was just like, well, it's about the brothers dipping the coat of Yosef in the goat's blood and showing it to their father. And the salt water representing tears is like this big crying, you know, thing that's going on, you know, this mourning for, you know, the sin of what we caused, um, the looking upon the one who we've pierced mourning for him as if for firstborn, you know? So when we dip that carpus, it's like going back to, we sold our brother. I cannot believe we did this harsh, bitter slavery was the result. Because selling Yosef was the beginning of our descent to Mitzrayim, right? And then we have the whole fact of, you know, the dipping twice, you know, so we go down into death, but then we're re rose and risen back up. And with death, there's a lot of tears and things like that. Let me see. I think I saved it. Just... Just for the sake of reading this uh, actual source uh, as it is written, because it's just so powerful. 
Carpus, carpus, carpus. There it is. Rukashem. This is from the Avu Draham. Says carpus is a vegetable when reversed. The consonants of the word carpus can be read as saperic. Saperic. Okay. Saperic. It says S in Hebrew is represented by Samic, which stands for the number 60. Perik or Perek means crushing labor. Carpus alludes to the 60 myriad, which is the 600,000 Israelites who were subject to crushing labor. And that's from the Abu Zadrum, from the Pesach Haggadah. And then where is my death and resurrection drop here? Did we get it? Yeah, commentary on Chad Gadia. Okay, so the Chad Gadia. This is a different section of the Seder. See, this is why I'm glad I pulled up my notes. Because this section of the Chad Gadia. Um, where is it? says, and the slaughterer came. This refers to Mashiach, the son of Yosef, who will vanquish Edom, the descendants of Esav. Yosef is the holy counterpart of Esav. So the yin and the yang, the Neo and the Agent Smith from the Matrix, that's Yosef and Esav. <laughs> wow. Thinking about Yeshua being in Rome, like he's like the counterpart. So like the church is like the anti-holiness, but the Mashiach is the holiness. And so anti-holiness is proclaiming holiness. It's such a paradox. It's beautiful. That's from Devarim thirty three seventeen, where it talks about um, Yosef is the ox. Esav is also called an ox. It says the firstborn of his ox, glory unto him. And it says, and the angel of death came and slaughtered the slaughterer. An allusion to the death of Mashiach ben Yosef. And the Holy One blessed as he came and slaughtered the angel of death. Then Hashem will come with Mashiach ben David and slaughter the ministering angel of Esaf, which, by the way, is the angel of death. And it says, reinstitute the temple service and return all that Israel has lost. Why did I just say the angel of Esav is the angel of death? Because it says the angel of Esau is known as the Samak Mem, the Yetzahara. Which we know the Yetzahara is connected to the angel of death, which is connected to the Satan. So that that's kind of a whoa. You ever wonder why the fuel of the church is to get away from holiness? Um there you go. So Chad Gadya literally means the one little goat or one little kid 
It's interesting that I mentioned this in tandem with the carpus and the dipping of the, the vegetables, which is like the dipping of Yosef's coat and the goat's blood because Chad Gadya is literally about the kid or the goat. So, Brukashem, that was from the Vilna Gaon, the Vilna Gaon's Haggadah. Okay. So, that was the whole thing about esteeming the Yom Tov and making sure that we really do things to, to build up. So... Want to skip over here a little bit and let's go back to the wellsprings. And I want to mention about um, Pesach. So let's see here. Let's start. Again, this is Torah Wellsprings on Parsha Zav and Shabbat Hagadol 57.78. This is at the very, very beginning, this insight I'm about to share right now. It says, how does one purify himself for Pesach? So his quote-unquote shades will be open to accept the great light that shines on this Yom Tov. So we need to understand that as we're sitting at our Seder, the window of heaven is like, a hundred and fifty thousand percent open like you talk about light beam unleashed it's just like boom explosion wide open so here's the thing so all of this light is coming down and we need to make sure that we don't have any blockers on us and so here's what it's really getting into it says there is the standard approach of expending effort in Torah study, tefillah, which is prayer, tehillim, which is the Psalms. You know, again, shouts out to Ishpela, Shlita, uh, the power of tehillim. He has a beautiful class on that, uh, if you want to check that out. And going on, it says, good deeds and teshuva. Okay, so these are our standard approaches to purifying ourselves and removing any barriers. It says these will purify him for the Yom Tov. In addition, the Kav Hayashar teaches that all preparations for Pesach, such as cleaning the home, baking matzot, or in our case, you know, at least in my household anyway, buying matzot, it says that. Uh, and any other toil one expends in the honor of the Yom Tov cleanses a person from the most severe sins. He can then receive the illuminating holiness of Pesach. So, first of all, that's ridiculous. Second of all, the implications of the reality of this. As much effort as we're expending and preparing, we've been thinking about it, we've been studying as much as we can, figuring out the halakha, what are we going to do, how are we going to do it, you know, and all this kind of stuff. All that preparation, all that cleaning, all of that prayer, 
all of that purchasing, you know, and checking things off the list, we are purifying our soul, getting rid of sins in our lives and our hearts and our minds. Wow. Preparing our vessels to receive from Hashem. One of the things we have to understand, if we want blessings in our life, we have to make a vessel for it. You want Hashem to do things and move in your life, you have to create a vessel for it. You have to start with your mind, first of all, and your mind is going to inform the rest of your body to do that. So for me right now, I'm really needing Parnassah, you know, so I'm looking at all the aspects of my life and being like, how come... What's what's going on with my vessel? <clears throat> you know, and it's just kind of like, okay, let's let's work on it. Let's create this thing. Let's do this. I want the redemption. I want the final redemption to happen in the world. So what kind of vessel am I making for the redemption? Is there unity? Is there as much Torah study and prayer as possible? Is there trying to be as good of a person as I can be to bring more light and truth into the world? You know, these kinds of things you have to start asking yourself. So just know that, believe that, and trust that whatever toiling we're doing this week, you know, carefully, uh, you know, with the scalding waters and the torches that are going to be going on. I burnt my hands plenty of times, toveling dishes, you know, and things like that. And so all those different things. It says Torah Will Springs cleanses a person from the most severe sins not to mention Shabbat Hagadol and all of that purification that happens with that next thing here when we burn the hamets so we have an interesting scenario where we're going to wait to say the nullification blessing but we're actually going to do the burning of the hamets on prep day and so before we get into Shabbat, we're going to be burning hamets. So as of this week, it'll be the sixth day. It'll be Friday. So check this out when the hamets is burned. And by the way, if you still have your lulav from Pesach and you're able to do the burning of the hamets, this is when you would burn your lulav as well. So if you cannot safely burn hamets, getting rid of it by throwing it in the trash or selling it is totally uh, appropriate as well. So to think about as you're, you know, getting rid of everything, this is your quote unquote burning of Hamid's time. It says when we burn the Hamid's, it is a very special time. Hamid's represents Yetzirah, sins and other impurities. Therefore, when the Hamas is burning, the world is being cleansed from these impurities. Think about that. The, the little mini fires that have to be sparking up as all these families are getting ready for Pesach, right? So when the world, the heavens and the earth are renewed in the coming time, it's going to be renewed by fire. A semblance of that is when we burn the hamets. We are bringing about a new heavens and a new earth in, in a, in a zim zoom fashion, like a very contracted 
miniature Ant-Man size, like, you know, like this is happening where we're doing this whole getting rid of sin and uh, the Yetahara. And it's like it, the Yetahara is being burned. It's slaughtered. You know, burning is one of the death penalties. Not that we throw people in fire or anything, but, you know, there's a whole process of that in the Mishnah. But this is a a, a, a type and a shadow of the death of the Yetzirah, which will happen in the time to come. And again, Parsha Zav, the teachings of Lakute Torah teach us that why do we offer the animals on the altar? It's because that is the equivalent of slaughtering our Yetzirah, which is our animal soul our flesh so our flesh is substituted by this pure spotless and blemished animal because many of us know if we literally offered ourselves on the altar that that'd be it we'd be dead we couldn't you know we wouldn't be able to come back until the resurrection but by Hashem's mercy and grace when the temple is standing we're able to place an animal on the altar in our place <clears throat> and affect the same uh, result as if we were placed on the altar. So every single time there's an offering going up, it is our flesh, it is our Yetzirah that's being offered up. So that's that's kind of deep to think about. So the next part here says. The Ateret Yehoshua of Dijkev. That's a interesting word. D J I K E V. Dijkev. Dijkev. Like pronouncing a D and a J at the same time. So the Ateret Yehoshua of Dijkev, may the memory of the righteous be for a blessing, would say the famous prayer of Rebbe Elimelech of Lizinsk. May the memory of the righteous be for a blessing. This is printed in many Sidurim before Shakarit. When he burned the comets. At this time, the world is pure and it is an ideal time for tefillah. This is like, you know, you, you think about, and I mean, this probably is so far off. But again, just think about the concept. Think about those moments where you stare at the Hanukkah, you're watching fireworks, you're seeing a sunset, you're seeing a sunrise, you're on the beach and you're watching the waves roll in. These very beautiful moments of like, this is a good time to pray. This is a good time to just worship Hashem. Well, when we're burning the Hamets, this is a beautiful time to pray. Let it out with Hashem. Hashem, I've been struggling. Hashem, I've been hurt. There's a lot of trauma here. I need help. You know, Hashem, I'm so grateful. Hashem, I want the redemption. Hashem, you know, whatever your heart is going to take you into, you know, just go there. Allow yourself to go there. And it's so beautiful that this is the week of Parashah Zav because we learn about the fire on the altar that is never to go out. And the beauty of this fire that it's in the form of a lion and that when we put our offering in the fire, 
that the fire that we kindle and we keep continuing to stoke and, and tend to and, and give the maintenance for, Hashem causes a heavenly fire to come down every single time to consume that offering as well. And so we have a fire going on of burning our hamits, of saying, Hashem, we cast off our Yetzirah. We want you to renew us, make us new creations, make the whole world new. You see how redemption can just flow out of all this? But I digress. So this fire goes up, and again, we have the same thing that happens in the temple can happen now. Hashem can cause a heavenly fire to descend and consume our hamets as well. So we'll have like a little miniature temple-like type service going on. Just like in the temple. And how awesome is it that to think now we're going to pray. Because in the temple, when those offerings were going up, there was a designated group of Jews, of men. Literally our custom to have a minion is connected to this. There was at least 10 men in the temple courtyard praying the morning prayers praying the afternoon prayers. Uh, so all the daytime prayers were going up with the offerings. And guess who else was in the temple courtyard on a platform, AKA a choir stand, the Levites. Now on Spooncast, spoon radio, I have a, uh, how many part series on this? Go to my spoon radio. It's not over there. Where is there? It is Brukashim. Backup suit engaged. Spoon radio. I have a Shomerman file here, um, or a Shomerman account on Spoon, and it's not letting me go on here. What's, what's wrong with you? What you doing? Okay. But anyway, I have a, I think it's a four part series, if I'm not mistaken, on the temple and about the Levites being the choir, wearing choir robes. But anyway, all that to say, the Levites are on a platform elevated to the same level as the Corbinote. And again, Rabbi Trugman goes into this as well, talking about the way the Corbinote go up with the praises of the Levites. Then we have the prayers of the Israelites in the courtyards. I mean, it's just like, okay, you got the Cohen doing his thing, the Levites doing his thing, and the Israelite doing their thing. The first letter of Cohen is Kaf. The first letter of Levites is Lamed. The first letter of Israelites is a Yod. Kaf, Lamed, Yod is the word Kli. It's the word for vessel. Remember what we just talked about with vessels. So Selah, creating a vessel so Hashem's blessing can fill it and overflow. This is why having the temple in the world is so, so beneficial because we're literally bringing down the out abundance, the outflow of Shemaim, and it's just poured out over the whole entire world because we pray for the world every single day. And when do we do that? The Minka prayer. Mecha. Mincha, sleek, I'm working on pronouncing things. So, Mincha, the afternoon prayer, that final lamb 
that's offered, that lamb corresponds to the offering for the nations. I talked about this back during Yom Kippur. So um, there's where you can find that information. But just know that that's absolutely... uh, Let's see if I can pull that up in the files. Yom Kippur. 57. Oh. 5781. This was like a monumental, just kind of like, what in the world? Yom Kippur 5781. Um. Dun, 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 dun. Stand by here. Hmm. I think this might be it. From Pasikta de Rab Kahana, Pisca five seventeen. According to Rabbi Barakia, citing Rabbi Abahu, Nahum Bar Similai, discoursing in Tarshish, took the verse to read, They shall take unto them the man. Exodus 12.3 That is, take the Holy One, of whom it is said, Adonai is the man, that is, the the manager of war. Exodus 15.3 How do you take him with the two lambs offered up daily in the temple, even as you took God unto yourselves when you daringly took the lambs in Egypt? Again, Pesikta de Rab Kahana, Pisca 517. So the first lamb that's offered up corresponds to Yitzhak, which is the Akedah. That's for all of Israel. You read that in the Siddur. literally an atonement everlasting when yeshua is offered up he's offered up during mincha okay with the uh, pesach lamb going on which by the way they can be offered up after mincha just learned that uh lakute was that lakute torah uh, it's one of my sources so let me bleed nether offer that up so I need to get the uh, four days between Yom Kippur and Sukkot posted. And I need to get this post about the timing of when the Pesach lamb is slaughtered. Okay. So anyway, so the you have Yitzhak and you have Yeshua, the, the morning lamb, and the afternoon lamb. Yitzhak is offered because salvation goes first to the Jews. Then Yeshua is offered, and that's for the whole entire world. So, somehow, we were talking about that, and it's just a beautiful thought of how those two lambs are uh, interconnected. And I thought I had a more concise uh, drop on that, but... Bukhashem, I don't want to belabor the time here because we're already 
quite deep into things. Okay, so anyway, uh, time for tefillah when you're burning your hamets. Also want to mention from Torah Well Springs 5788, Rebbe Aharon of Bells, may the memory of the righteous be for a blessing, would rarely cry, but he would cry when he burned the hamets and when he said kerubs, kerubuts, or kerubets, which is the prayer that is added Chazrat uh, Hashets. Not sure about this because it's not vowel pointed and it doesn't really translate it, but there's basically an additional prayer and this is added to Purim. It says in the footnote Rabbi Moshe Moshe Mordecai of Lelo's sister came to her brother for a visit. And the Rebbe asked her, Do you remember the Bedikot's Hamets, the burning of the Hamets of our father? It took all night long with tears and his root. Because removing the Hamets represents removing all sins. Okay, so there's a connection to Purim there. Goes on to say, Zadikim taught that the war of Gog and Magog, Gog and Magog, commonly pronounced, which heralds the coming of Mashiach, will occur on Erev Pesach, with the three hours when people are burning their chametz. Therefore, in the Hoshianot, in the Sukkot, we say, save us three hours. Hoshana Shalosh Sha'ot. We literally say, save us three hours back during Sukkot. So again, when you think about the yearly cycle, we start off the year with Sukkot. You know, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, go all the way through, and then we have uh, Pesach that eventually occurs, and there's Shavuot, that's kind of like the climax, and then we start going into the three weeks of mourning, and then everything gets a lull, and then we re revamp, right? The crazy part is, is during the three weeks of mourning, that's supposed to be even higher than the three weeks of the first uh, part of Tishrei, which is Rosh Hashanah to Sukkot. Like, that's three weeks of get you some. So the three weeks of mourning are actually supposed to be on a higher lofty level than that because we were supposed to begin receiving the Torah on Shavuot with the Ten Commandments, then get the fullness of those brought down into creation on the 17th of Tammuz, then turn it up and get into the promised land and build the temple by the ninth of Av, Tishbaav. But golden calves and spies and all that kind of stuff has kind of sacked all that. So just think about the, the major level of Tikkun going on here. So it goes on to say, we can explain that we are praying to be saved from the war of Gog and Magog which will transpire during the three hours of the burning of the Hamets on Erev Pesach. 
because technically you're supposed to get the hummets out by the sixth hour so technically from the sixth hour to the ninth hour would be the burning of the hummets and wouldn't you happen to know that was the time where there was darkness over the face of the earth while the mashiach was hanging on the stake one more thing I wanted to mention here. Holy Leftovers, Insight on the Parsha. This is a beautiful write-up on Chabad. And it says, Judaism teaches that if we began the day with a moment of holiness. I don't know, like, Moldeh ani lefenecha, melech elchai vechayam, shechazarta binishmati vechemla, rabbah imunatecha. Like, I gratefully thank you, Hashem, for mercifully restoring my soul, right? The first prayer we say before we open our eyes, it says, we start today with a moment of holiness. If we offer even a small portion, how short is that bracha, right? If we offer even a small portion of our time to God in the morning, then that experience will affect the rest of the day, infusing it with significance and holiness. The rest of the day, when we tend to our material activities and needs, is a continuation of the spiritual experience and is considered holy. We just talked about this in chapter 44 of Master Plan. So now you want to make your day holy? Well, when you start your day off with a moment of holiness... The rest of your day is pulled up into this realm. And yes, it is a realm of holiness. You've now elevated your whole entire day into holiness. And this is like the smallest thing. So it says the rest of the day when we tend to our material activities and needs is a continuation of the spiritual experience. And it's considered holiness. For it is infused with the holiness of the moments we offered to God. This is the inner meaning of the description of the only a handful of flour is actually burned meal offering that we read about in this week's Torah portion. When the Jew brings an offering of grain, which symbolizes all of his material needs, only a handful of the flour is actually burned on the altar. The Kohen gives this beautiful portion of grain. It's a small portion. It's a meal offering that he gives. And that's our Muldeh Ani. So, so beautiful. The heritage that Hashem has given us. For those of you who are into food and into cooking, Parashazav is for you teach about some temple cooking because one of the things with the temple is nobody ate hummets in the temple it was unleavened bread all the time hummets free zone so they didn't really have to worry about cleaning the temple for pesach which is crazy to think about the only cleaning they had to do was get all the blood out from all those lambs that are being slaughtered uh for the corbin pesach and may it be soon in our days that we get back to that schedule and uh, actually have to clean the temple so that blood and water can flow out the side of it at the conclusion of the 14th of Nisan as we're cleaning up from the 14th of Nisan being the day that we bring our Corbin to slaughter it. 
Because guess what? There will be offerings when the temple is back. There's beautiful drops on that in the Parsha uh, Zav Vayikra Rabah. And I've posted a few things on Instagram already for that. So Instagram Shomer.man. Uh, you can check those out. And Twitter. Uh, I'm on there. And I've actually got a website, which is K-H-U-L, which is Hul with a us. If you type in that address, it'll pull straight up to the Twitter and it has all the Instagram and all that kind of stuff on there, podcasts and everything. Check all those out. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just so amazing. This is the season. This is the time that we're in. So to for tuning in, may you be blessed with a beautiful week of prepping. Uh, this will be me signing off until, uh, next availability because, uh, got some, uh, Icing on the cake to do uh, to finish the full transition from a Hamid's household into a Hamid's free household for Pesach. So the the home stretch is what we're in. So everyone be blessed. May you have a beautiful Arab Shabbat for Shabbat Hagadol. Don't forget to pray for miracles. Pray for the redemption. May Hashem send Mashiach now. And may you have a beautiful Pesach and uh, enjoy the Yom Tov. May you be filled with joy. May you be filled with life. May we all be granted renewal. May we all be granted freedom from the restriction of the Yetzirah dominating in our life. May we be overcomers. May we be more than conquerors through Hashem, through his Mashiach, through the Torah, through the mitzvot. King Yehiratzon. HaKadosh Baruchu, send Mashiach now. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, Asher natan lanu Torah temet, Vechaye olam natabetokheinu, Baruch atah Adonai, Noten ha-Torah.